Well, good morning, everyone. Great to see all of you here this morning. Uh, just before I begin, by way of kind of announcements, uh, you would have heard Pastor Jennifer praying for the, the young people who are all at serve this week. We will have a report back for... Oh, whoops, I'm unscrewing this whole thing. So There we go. Uh, we will have a report back from the whole group of young people who've gone to surf. We'll get to see some photos and some wacky videos of them doing all sorts of whatever crazy things they've been doing all week long. Uh, but that won't be next week. That'll be the week after that. So just in case you're hoping or expecting to hear back from them uh, this coming week, no, uh, Pastor Hannah desperately needs and has earned some vacation time. Uh, so she'll be off during this coming week, and that's why we'll give her a little bit of grace, and we'll let her kind of, you know, give a, a report back with all the young people the week after that. Uh, and then while I'm kind of semi-giving announcements, keep an eye on the weekly newsletter, because most probably the first Sunday in August, when we have our communion service, that Sunday morning after church, we are going to have a time of prayer uh, for those who would like us to specifically anoint them with oil and pray for them. And that comes straight out of the book of James, where James, the brother of Jesus, says, If any of you are sick, let him call the elders who will lay hands, anoint with oil, and pray for healing. Uh, and so that first Sunday in August, that's what we're aiming at. But I'm not going to confirm that for you today. Keep an eye on the weekly email. Uh, and if there's a stirring within you where you kind of go, you know what, I've been struggling with this health issue. I've, I've been wrestling with this. And yes, I need somebody to pray for me. Uh, we would love to be able to pray for you on that Sunday. So keep an eye. Um, John, sorry, I, there's a huge echo down here. I'm sounding really loud. Do I sound okay out there? You sound cool? There's a bit of an echo. I think there's a little bit of an echo. My ADD is kind of going... <laughs> So, sorry about that. There we go. That's, hey, that sounds awesome. Great. Fantastic. Thanks, team. Uh, so if you are joining with us today, if perhaps you're visiting with us, whether online or here in person, uh, during summer we are going through a series simply titled, Let's Talk. And it's the invitation from God to each and every one of us to simply enter into communication with our Heavenly Father. It's this idea that God longs to speak with us, that God longs to engage with us. And, and so God invites us into this place of communication and of communion with Him. Uh, we began two weeks ago by looking at how Jesus teaches us to pray, Abba, Father. And it's that, that cry of intimacy to our Heavenly Father to say, Abba, uh, yes, there's that childlike faith, that childlike dependence as we cry out to God. And then last week, we sort of looked at the follow-on from that, that Jesus teaches us how when we pray, we pray believing that we will be heard. That indeed, God invites us to talk with Him so that He will listen to us and speak with us. And so we pray in faith, believing that we will be heard. And of course, last week we touched on the idea that, you know, in that place of being heard by God, uh, it implies confession and righteousness. And thankfully, we are declared righteous in Christ. If Christ is in us, we are justified. We are righteous before God. 
But of course, our, our flesh kind of wages war and we give in to sin and we give in to temptation. Uh, and so when we start to practice willful and habitual sin, you know, the Bible says we need to confess that. We need to deal with that. And as we deal with that, that is what brings us into that place of knowing that God will hear us. And so as we continue this week, this week we're looking at how Jesus prayed in secret. And Jesus teaches us to pray in secret. In fact, we find this in Luke chapter 5, verse 16. Luke 5, verse 16 simply says, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And of course, he did that. He even teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. He kind of, right in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, Jesus says, When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. If we want to learn from Jesus how to speak with God and how to respond to that invitation to simply talk to God, then we have to acknowledge there is incredible power in praying in secret. You know, it really, it, it breaks my heart when I see in the media, uh, when I see stories, particularly of pastors and church leaders who have some sort of moral failure, and, and, and the church is kind of exposed to these failures in, in the public sphere, whether it's, you know, financial fraud or embezzlement, whether it's some sort of addiction or, or sadly, the all too common kind of sexual affairs or something like that. I'm often forced to ask, why do these things happen? And of course, I know part of the reason why they happen is because pastors are people too. You know, I know many of you think I'm amazing and I'm perfect, uh, you know, and, and I get that, I understand it, but I got to break and burst that bubble. I'm really not. I'm just like you. I wrestle with temptations. I wrestle with things that come my way. And I struggle just as much as the next person. And so when I look at those, particularly the public figures who give in to temptations and who sin publicly, I'm reminded that none of those church leaders, none of those individuals woke up one morning and decided, you know what would be great today? To just throw it all away. They never get there. It's not a suddenly one day wake up, there we go. It's a process over time. And often in those who then share their stories and, and hopefully kind of there's recovery and restoration as they share their stories, it always points back to that public failure was because of a private mess. And that private mess was because slowly but surely they lost track of connecting with God. They lost tra track of spending time with God. And slowly but surely, those little habits that they once practiced, whether it was prayer and Bible reading and meditation and spending time with God, slowly those got replaced with other practices and habits. And slowly they drifted away from God. Public failure never arises out of a vacuum. It's over time behind closed doors. And this is why Jesus, His example to us, becomes so important because this doesn't, does not happen to Jesus. Why not? Because Jesus often withdrew to lonely places where he prayed. 
Jesus' public ministry before God depended intimately and ultimately on his private communion with his heavenly Father. One without the other would have probably proved faithful, uh, fatal. Sorry. You know, New Testament accounts show that Jesus lived neither as this reclusive hermit, never going out, never engaging with public, but he was also not on the other side like some maniacal social butterfly who spent all of his time with crowds and people. No. Jesus understood that in order to do ministry, in order to go out into public, in order to respond to God's call, he had to spend time in private. He had to spend time praying in private. And so we read in the scriptures early in the morning. Early in the morning, he got up. You know, that was how all good Jews began their day. Faithful Jews began with prayer. It was the first order of business of any day. And they would faithfully worship their living God. And sadly for many of us, most of us are more likely to check our phone first thing in the morning than we are to check our Bible. We're more likely to go and make coffee than we are to utter praise. And we wonder why we walk with this, in a sense, weakness in our faith. Jesus rose very early and he prayed. In fact, in Mark chapter 1, it says not only that Jesus woke early, but Jesus rose early in the morning while it was still dark. And he would go and pray. Interestingly enough, all of Jesus' prayers uh, in, in Mark's gospel sorry, are in solitary places. And they're always in connection with his response to ministry as he would go and pray before going out to serve. You've heard me say it before. You've heard me quote Jesus before. As Jesus said, I only do what I see my Father doing. And it was because of his private prayer as he engaged with his Father that he would find out where to go and what to do. So what does this example of Jesus teach us? How should we respond if Jesus withdrew to quiet and lonely places? If Jesus teaches us to do the same, how do we respond? Well, I want to use an, an Old Testament example. It's an example we know well. And it's the example of Daniel. And now you hopefully know the story of Daniel taken away from his people as a young man and taken into the, throne, into the courts of King Nebuchadnezzar. And he goes and serves these foreign powers, and he rises in, in kind of stature within this place. And as he rises, slowly the other people around him start to get jealous of Daniel. Uh, they're jealous of the fact that he gets recognition. They're jealous of the fact that this foreigner is given a position of power and authority. And so we come into Daniel chapter 6, and it's this incredible passage where Daniel's enemies start to realize that, you know what, we don't like Daniel. We need to get rid of Daniel. And they discuss and they debate amongst themselves, and they realize, you know what, there's no way we can get rid of Daniel. This is a man of integrity. This is a man of honesty. This, this guy doesn't do anything wrong. And so in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 5, they realize in fact, we read, finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. And so these rulers kind of think they, they've developed a really great plan. 
And they go to the king and they say to the king, hey, king, you know, you're the, the most wise. You're the most powerful. Uh, you're just, you're like God. And, and the king kind of goes, I am, aren't I? And so they say to the king, maybe what you should do is issue a decree that for the next 30 days, no one may pray to anyone. No one may pray to any God. No one may offer sacrifices to any God. No one may ask God for anything. They have to come to you. And the king goes, that's a great idea. And he issues a decree that for the next 30 days, no one, in fact, if someone does pray to any other God, if someone offers a sacrifice to any other God, they will be thrown into the lion's den. Of course, that's in a direct violation of the very first commandment of the Ten Commandments. And Daniel, as a God-fearing Jew, understands this. In fact, we read that in Exodus 20, verse 3, you will have no other gods before me. God has said to his people, you will worship no one else. You will ask no one else. You will make no idols of anything or anyone. You will have no other God except for me. And so Daniel gets this and he, and he hears this. And what does Daniel do? Well, he does what he always does. In Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10, Now Daniel, when he learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Daniel was a man of prayer. Daniel understood, and so Daniel would go to his room. Now, of course, we could argue that it wasn't super private, I mean, he was in the window praying towards Jerusalem. Everyone could see that. But at least he was in his room. And Daniel would go and he would pray. And so now there's this challenge and, and Daniel does what he always does. He goes and he prays. And of course, his enemies see this. And they go straight back to the king. Oh, king, didn't you say if anyone asks anyone else, they should be thrown to the lion? And the king goes, of course, that's what I said. They point out, well, Daniel... Daniel's busy doing that right now. He's praying to someone else. And so the king throws Daniel in the lion's den. And again, in that place, Daniel prays. And God hears his prayer. And his life is spared. You know, I look at that example of Daniel, and I'm reminded that times of crisis, when we face challenges, that's when we pray. Isn't that true? You know, when life is going fine, we kind of forget about prayer. Or maybe we offer this quick sort of prayer. But, but when we go through crises, that's when we get on our knees and that's when we pray. I know some of you heard that my son spent some time in a hospital in Nelson this past week during serve. I can assure you that Cindy in my prayer life went up. And he's fine now and he's back home. And I wish my prayer would stay up there, but I know that it'll probably wane off for a little bit until the next crisis hits. And I say this with, with tenderness to those who might be going through a crisis right now. I don't want to be flippant to your crisis. But when I look at crises, I kind of wonder if they're not maybe gifts from God. Because they draw us into that place. Of dependence. They remind us that we really are weak. We have no power. We cannot control anything. And so when we go through those times, God says, let me 
carry. Let me help. And so they're kind of like this gift from God as we come into his presence. And Jesus understood that. And so Jesus prays. Jesus goes to his Father. Jesus acknowledges, dare I say, his weakness of his own humanity. And he comes before God, his Father, and he prays in secret. And he teaches us to do the same. You know, the Bible says to us that developing and maintaining our spiritual disciplines is God's will for us. In fact, Paul writes this in Colossians chapter 4. Paul says that you may become mature Christians and fulfill God's will for you. That you may grow in maturity. Paul echoes this in Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians 4 verse 13, Paul says, Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Spiritual maturity is God's will for each and every one of us. You know, the word that we translate as maturity uh, from the Greek, it's the word teleos. And teleos can also be translated as perfect. It's this idea of completion, of perfection. Now, you and I both know we're not perfect right now. But it's a process that one day as we mature, as we become complete, so we will be made perfect and we will become perfect in Christ-like character. This is God's plan for us. Paul echoes that in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. You and I, as we journey in faith, as we grow in Christ, the goal is to be like Jesus. The goal is to, to be a copy, as it were, to be, to be a reflection, as it were, of Jesus Christ. This is our spiritual maturity. Well, this is the goal, sorry, spiritual maturity. But I want to give you three very quick facts about spiritual maturity. Now, firstly, spiritual maturity is not automatic. You know, you, you hear me sometimes use the word uh, justification or being justified. That's an instantaneous thing. When I acknowledge Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, when I confess my sin and I declare Jesus God, in that moment of receiving Christ by faith, I am justified and I am declared righteous in Christ. But sanctification, the process of becoming like Christ, like Christ, that sanctification, sanctification takes effort. It takes time. It's a slow and steady journey. I love the way John Owen puts it in his book, The Mortification of Sin. John Owen says, The performance of duties is excellent food for a hungry soul, but it isn't medicine for a sick one. The performance of duties is excellent food for a hungry soul, but it isn't medicine for a sick one. And what John Owen is saying over there is to become like Christ takes the performance of duty. It, it takes doing the work that Christ has prepared for us. But that work doesn't heal me. That work doesn't save me. No, I'm saved by Christ. But then I enter into this process of becoming like Christ. It is not automatic. But not only is our spiritual maturity not automatically, secondly, it's a process. 
Paul writes to Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge. Sorry, Peter. Did I say Paul writes to Peter? Peter wrote Peter, by the way. So Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Grow in the grace. It is a process. Many years ago, I ran an ultramarathon back in South Africa, just shy of 90 kilometers. Uh, And in that marathon, kind of this windy route, there was a stretch where the road kind of did this curve like that. And there was a little bit of a grass patch just to the side of the road. And there were a couple of runners who, just because there's so many people running, I I don't think they meant to do it on purpose, but they cut across that grass field. And what what they didn't realize is they cut across that little grass field, and we're talking a 90-kilometer run, and here it's maybe like 30 meters or something. They didn't realize there was a timing mat in the road. And because they didn't cross that timing mat, they were disqualified at the end. Can you imagine running nearly 90 kilometers and you're disqualified because you missed out like 30 meters? But, But that's the rule. You follow the course if you want to complete the race. I'm afraid that in our journey of spiritual maturity, there are no shortcuts. It is a process. It is a journey. But not only, secondly, is it a process. Thirdly, it takes discipline. Spiritual maturity takes discipline on our part. Paul writes to Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, have nothing to do with godless, godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. I love the way the, uh, the NASB version puts it. It says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. It takes discipline. Your mature believers, followers of Jesus Christ, are, are to be called disciples of Christ. I cannot be a disciple if I am not disciplined. The more disciplined I become in my journey of faith, the more I believe and trust that God can and will use me. And how do I become disciplined? It's when I spend time with God in secret. I need you guys to, to spare a thought for not just me, but for all preachers. You know what makes preaching so difficult? is we are trying to tell you the same thing over and over, just in different ways so that you don't get bored. There's very little that I can tell you. Basically, what I'm trying to tell you over and over, week in and week out, is that Jesus loves you. That Jesus died to forgive your sins. That Jesus rose again to give you eternal life. And that Jesus invites you into a relationship with our triune God of Father, Son, and Spirit. And the way we grow in that relationship is by reading our Bible, by praying, by serving, by walking in Christian community, and then doing a couple of other things. That's what I'm trying to tell you week in and week out. And Jesus today reminds us that if we want to grow in our relationship with God, If we want to grow as disciples of His, it begins in that place of private prayer, of praying in secret. And let me tell you, if Jesus understood how necessary praying in secret was, how much more for you and I to spend time 
with our Heavenly Father, to spend time in that secret place. Let me close off this morning with the little word that maybe you didn't quite catch in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, Jesus' instruction on the Sermon of the Mount. Jesus ends the instruction of when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Because when your Father who is in secret sees what you do, you will be rewarded. You will be rewarded. Jesus promises that his disciples will receive a reward when they journey with their heavenly father in secret. In fact, when you read Matthew chapter 6, that word reward occurs seven times in the passage. And it unquestionably points to the fact that our father longs to give us blessing. And our father longs to reward us. Now, don't misread that. Don't think that, okay, well, if God's going to reward me, that means I'm going to get some material blessing. Suddenly I'm going to get rich and I'm not going to face trials. No, I've already said trials are a gift of God to invite us into his presence. But our heavenly father says that as we spend time with Christ, sorry, Christ says as we spend time with our father, as we spend time in that secret place, as we pray, so we will be rewarded. Jesus truly believed that. Jesus taught that. Jesus trusted his father that he would ultimately be rewarded as well. And I think we see that answered when Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane and he says, Father, glorify me now. Give me back that glory that I had when I was with you. And indeed, Jesus was glorified. You know, I know that we struggle when it comes to private prayer. Many of you have heard of the Puritan preacher Jonathan Edwards Jonathan Edwards was the guy who preached a sermon called Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. And that's the one we often know. But he also wrote a sermon called, or sorry, he preached a sermon called Hypocrites Deficient in the Duty of Prayer. Now, it was a different time. It was a different era. And so, you know, I understand that. But I just, I see that image. Deficient in the duty of prayer. And if we're deficient in the duty of prayer, it's going to lead us to hypocrisy. And so we are invited, and, and it should stir within us this reaction that, wait a minute, I'm invited into the presence of God. And God simply says, let's talk. Let's talk free of distractions. Let's talk free of noise. Free of those things that might pull you away from me. And you know where that is? That's in that secret and private place. My brothers and sisters, friends in Christ, I want to invite you, dare I say I want to challenge you, why not find a place and a time during the course of this next week, a daily place and time where you can meet with your Father in that secret place? Because when we meet with our Father in secret, He sees and He will reward us. Let's pray together. Jesus, as we read your words, as we see and learn from your example, we acknowledge that you walked in perfect communion with your heavenly Father. And we long for that same thing. We know that sin distracts us and, and pulls us away. 
But Jesus, we know you've dealt with sin. And you've forgiven us and you've covered it. And so again, you invite us to come before our Father. My God, I thank you. Abba, Father, I thank you that you love us so much that you just want to relate to us and talk with us. And I pray, would you help us? Help us to find that time early in the morning, before the distractions of the day begin, before the beeps and notifications on our phone catch our attention. Would you help us to to pray and to talk with you? Knowing that when we do that, we will ultimately be rewarded. And we pray this for your kingdom's sake and for your glory's sake. Holy Spirit, help us. Amen. Amen.